Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Hi. Hi. <laughs> My name is Nina Mamakunian. I'm the literature and theater and dance librarian here at Geisel, as well as the curator for the Archive for New Poetry. Um, we are so excited to have the third new writing series reading here today, and I'm so happy that you were all able to make it. Um, I want to give a very quick thank you to the bookstore um, for being able to be here today, and they are selling Whereas out in the lobby right now. Um, so if you would like a copy, um, feel free to purchase one. Um, I'd also like to thank the Digital Media Lab and the uh, Digital Library Program, um, because we've got, as many of you have seen already from our previous readings, <laughs> we've got the touch screen available to explore the Paul Blackburn Audio Collection, um, which is a collection of 212 recordings that Paul Blackburn made in the 1960s and 70s um, as he went around New York recording all of the poetry readings that he uh, was in organized, brought poets together to talk. It's a really exciting archive, so please do feel free to check that out as well. All right, thank you. Thank you, Nina. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. Welcome. So good to see you all. I'm Brandon Som. I'm a poet and professor here in the literature department, and uh, I'm so excited to be here with you all. I'm so excited to have Laylee Long Soldier here today. We are thrilled and honored to have uh, Laylee here. Um, uh, I also wanted to underscore that there are books for sale. Laylee's book, um, award-winning, amazing book, uh, Whereas, is available. So please pick up a book. And Laylee has graciously um, uh, said that she'd sign a book. So uh, definitely this is your opportunity. So please uh, please buy a book. Um, I'm our, our wonderful graduate student, Catherine Agard, is going to introduce uh, Laylee this evening. So I'm going to step aside for a second. But before I do, uh, I do want to uh, announce uh, a couple events coming up. Here with the reading series, we've got two more fabulous events before the spring is over. We have two readings from our graduate program, our MFA in writing. Uh, we have our uh, first years. The students who are starting the program, they're reading uh, for us on May 23rd. It's going to be over in the Lit Building um, in the Dissertot Room. Many of you are familiar. So please come out May 23rd at 4.30 and help us celebrate these really amazing, emerging MFA writers uh, in our program. Also, June 6th, we're going to celebrate with a reading of the graduating MFA. So these are, uh, these are the, the uh, students finishing up the program finishing up their, their projects, and they're going to share those projects with you. So come out, help us celebrate them, be a part of the community. Um, we'd love to see you there. Also, uh, really excited for next week. Hopefully you're seeing these flyers around. Juan Felipe Herrera is going to be here reading. Uh, amazing poet, poet laureate, right? Uh, please come out for this reading again next Thursday, May 17th. It's one of those things where you have to RSVP, so uh, don't don't miss out on that. Go ahead and get online and RSVP for this exciting, amazing event. And it's free, right? Thank you, <laughs> thank you, Lily. Yes. So you just go and you know click a button, but it's free. So, but yeah, so free poems coming at you. Can't go wrong. Okay. Thank. So excited. Thank you for being here. And now I'd like to introduce Catherine Agard. Ooh, 
I've never stood here before. Um, in some sense, this is a collectively authored introduction, so thank you to Brandon's seminar, um, particularly Aidan and Calvin, whose words are in here, and everyone else. Um, make room in the mouth for grasses, 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 and so whereas begins. Say it to yourself. Feel how it fills the mouth, and yet you know that your mouth is empty. Grass, that which humans cannot eat, which does not actually nourish or sustain us. But this word, as a sound, an object on the page, it represents something that is gestured to, but not there. What is there? What is real? What is in the center that our language gestures to, but still is not? As Long Soldier begins her text with this invocation of the grass, I want to begin by recognizing that which, that from which grass grows. I want to recognize the land that we are here on today that is around and below us. I want to acknowledge the people who have lived and died on and for this land, known and unknown, named and unnamed. We are very lucky to have Lady Long Soldier with us today. Lady Long Soldier earned a BFA from the Institute of American Art, Indian Arts and an MFA with honors from Bard College. She is the author of the chapbook Chromosomery 2010 and the full-length collection Whereas, which is out in the lobby and you're going to buy, um, which won the National Book Critics Circle Award and was a finalist for the National Book Award. She has been a contributing editor to Drunken Boat and is poetry editor at Core Press. She is also a visual artist, and in 2012, her participatory installation, Whereas We Respond, was featured on the Pine Ridge Reservation. In 2015, Long Soldier was awarded a National Artist Fellowship from the Native Arts and Cultures Foundation and a Lanham Literary Fellowship for Poetry. We are very lucky to be here today. Lily Long Soldier is a dual citizen of the Oglala Lakota Nation and that which we call the United States of America. In the poem 38... Long Soldier writes of the Dakota 38, 38 men who were executed by hanging under orders from President Lincoln in 1862, the same week that Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. She writes, treaties were abrogated, broken, and new treaties were drafted. One after another, the new treaties often reference old, defunct treaties, and it is a muddy switchback trail to follow. Although I often feel lost on this trail, I know I am not alone. She is not alone. Whereas was, for me, an education and a reckoning with how much language is used to protect and to lie and to manipulate, and how this is part of the legacy of the Americas as a whole. How saying sorry is not a resolution to change, how making a promise is not an action of goodwill or faith. One must be, I learn, attentive to language, but one must also be attentive to that which it can only gesture to, how we live, what we do, what we offer to others. She writes in Whereas, in this dual citizenship, I must work, I must eat, I must art, I must mother, I must friend, I must listen, I must observe, constantly I must live. And now, in this space where we all are, in this structure that has been made for us, we here now listen, and I am sure that we too will feel. Please welcome Lily Long Soldier. Can you hear me? 
Yeah, thank you so much. That was so beautiful. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me, everyone. Um, it's such a pleasure to be here. And being with students is my favorite thing. So um, thanks for coming, everybody. Leili Akichita Hanska, Leili Long Soldier, Imachiapi, Daya Hipinachantewashte, Nabechi Yusapi. So I said, uh, I come with a like a warm heart and a good hand. Good, or no, reverse. Good heart and warm hand or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, actually, uh, I'm going to do something kind of um, impromptu today. Uh, I wasn't totally planning to do this, but I figure, well, why not? So um, just before the reading, they said, do you want to put anything on the screen? So I said, oh, I think I have an image. I had this PowerPoint I had already made for a previous presentation, and I was planning to just put this up. But then someone mentioned um, an, uh, an installation that I did in um, conjunction with this response. And so, um, and I happen to have images from that installation as well. So I, I'll, pro I guess I'll, I guess I'll be doing all that, <laughs> showing that and reading some work together. Um, but for now, I think I'm going to start off with um, some pieces from the first part of my book which is titled, These Being the Concerns. Uh, the second part of my book is a response to the national apology to Native Americans. But in the first part, I um, kind of lay the foundation for who I am in many ways uh, as a mother, as an artist. I have a lot of pieces writing about writing and so forth. Um, and so I also, in that first section, have a lot of work on grass, grasses. Um, so I'm going to start off with one of those pieces. <clears throat> Look. The light, grass, body, whole, wholly moves, a green, hill till I pull stalk and root up from black mat soil bed beads from grass heads one by one a part I split grass wires little Bulbs, silver, green, drop, let's I sentence to life, less light. Quick, dead, grass, skulls, weight, less pile, dry, mound, in cupped palm. What have I? done, what now to do, why this impulse to shake the dead light, why do 
I so want the light to blink, look, alive, move. Why do I so want it still? So um, my family is from up north. My dad's family is from Pine Ridge, South Dakota. And my mom's family is from northern Idaho. And I grew up in the southwest. Um, but strangely enough, I think of myself as a northern person, even though I'm this. I'm getting old, too. and I, <laughs> But I think of myself in that way. So anyway... Um, one of the things that uh, when, I'm, when we go up north to visit, always it's uh, when I know we're getting to our place is the grass and the smell of it. And uh, especially in summer, uh, in a, just a few weeks, my daughter and I are going to go up and, you know, the, the green and the wind on it and so on. And... Um, so that's always embodied kind of a sense of uh, self, a sense of place for me. And so, um, but anyway, the piece I just read uh, was kind of the darker side of myself. I noticed uh, one day when I was uh, up north, um, my tendency is, like I'm so happy I get out of the car and my tendency is to grab a stock, you know, of gra- and then to just immediately take the beads, the heads off, and collect them, you know, like in my palm. And one day I said, why do I do that? It's so destructive, right? You know, like, just, like, yank it and kill it right away. So, um, I have a lot of the pieces in the first part of my book are really long. They're like six, seven, eight, nine uh, sections long. So I'm going to read from one of the longer pieces, but just the first um, first few sections, four or five sections. And this is a piece called Vaporative. And this is uh, for you graduate students. This is... Uh, Writing on writing, woohoo, like nerd time, right? <laughs> it's nerd time, but I hope you guys get it. So. <laughs> Vaporative. However, a light may come through vaporative glass pane or dry dermis of hand winter bent I follow that light capacity that I have cup-sized capture snap-like seizure I remember small is less to forget less to carry tiny gears Mini armature, I gun the spark light. I blink, I blink at me to look at me in light. I look twice and I eye a light again.
When I want to write seriously, I think of people like DG, for whom I wrote a long poem, for whom I revised, until the poem forgot its way back. Troubled, I let it go when you love something, let it go. If it returns, be a good mother, father, seduce, excuse me, welcome. The poem opened armed, pull out the frying pan, grease it, coat it, prepare a meal, apron and kitchen sweat, labor, my love, my sleeves pushed to elbows like the old days, a sack of flour and keys, I push them, typography and hot cakes work, seduce a poem into believing, I can home it, I can provide it, white, gravy, whatever the craving, poem, eat and lie down, full, poem, rest here, full, don't lift a single etter. <clears throat> Strange how lying on this side works, yet on my back I grieve, and turning to my left, I rewind to a child's world, so I return back over to the first position of poesis prenascent page before any material thing makes. In this right side piece, I work most nights. I greet open-eyed, delicate pronunciations like thank you. I thank the empty room. I still my body. I work hard not to slip a centimeter in dark work not to interrupt my own conversation. I move my mouth as if silently reading, as if a beginner or courting a friendship, careful holding to my chest, small gifts, tight three-lettered words in three-word phrases, I welcome in the new new. Promise. If I read you what I wrote, bear in mind I wrote it down only so that I remember. Example. I have always wanted opaque 
to mean see-through, transparent. I'm disheartened to learn it means the opposite. I don't know, has anybody had that problem? <laughs> Look at you, see? Yeah, I'm not the only one. I wrote this poem, you won't believe how many people have come up to me and said the same thing. So I wrote this piece and I said, there's got to be a reason I've always thought it meant transparent. So I decided to translate it, maybe it was the sound. Why this instinct to assign a definition based on sound? Opaque. I interpret O. Open. P. Soft. A. Airplane or directional flight. K. Cut through. Translating to, excuse me, translating to that which is or allows air, airy, penetrating light, transparency. To say, you don't fool me for a second, you're opaque. To say, I'm partial to opaque objects, I delight in luminosity. To say, I'm interested in this painting on glass brightly opaque. I understand the need to define as a need for stability. That I and you can be things standing understood among each other. One word can be a poem. Believe it. One word can destroy a poem, dare I, say I am writing to penetrate the opaque, but I confuse it too often. I negotiate instinct when a word of lightful meaning flips under, buries me in the work of blankets. I'm going to um, I'm going to move into because I'm uh, doing a little impromptu here. I'm going to move into section two, which is um, my response to the uh, national apology to Native Americans. So I'm just going to read a quick intro, just in case you don't, just for a little um, background on that apology. And by the way, I woke up really early this morning, and I am not an, a morning person, so if I, seem, if I seem weird, sorry. Here we go. On Saturday, December 19th, 2009, U.S. President Bar Barack Obama signed the Congressional Resolution of Apology to Native Americans. No tribal leaders or official representatives were invited to witness and receive the apology on behalf of tribal nations. President Obama never read the apology aloud publicly. 
Although, for the record, Senator Brownback, five months later, read the apology to a gathering of five tribal leaders. Um, bear in mind, there are, are over 560 uh, federally recognized tribes in the U.S. Uh, the apology was then folded into a larger, unrelated piece of legislation called the 2010 Defense Appropriations Act. Uh, so my uh, response is directed to the apology's delivery, as well as the language, crafting, and arrangement of the written document. I should also say, um, since I've read um, this work, uh, quite a bit in the last year. Um, I feel like it's important to me to mention that, you know, in the intro introduction, I, I mentioned um, President Obama specifically, but the response was really not aimed at any particular politician. It was really aimed at a, a kind of general Americanness and um, a status quo, a way of um, relating to Native people and to our communities that at some point I was really tired of. And so that was kind of the impetus for this response. Okay, so what I'm going to do now, I'm not very techie, so you guys have to close your eyes because I have to backtrack. Don't look. <laughs> Don't look at it. Okay, hold on. We're going. Just pretend you didn't see any of this. Okay, here we go. So I'm not giving the whole talk. I, I was only intending to show you one image, but I'll go ahead and show you. I, I had a talk at, um, I won't give the talk but I'll show some of the, the imagery. Um, so I gave a presentation. Um, this was at Harvard a month or two ago on collaboration and writing beyond the alone. So I do work visually, and um, uh, I've been doing that for a number of years. And I also um, recently realized that I've been working collaboratively collaboratively for a long time. So I'm actually working on a number of written works that are sort of collaborative um, pieces. But um, the reason I'm showing you this is because uh, as I read some poems from my response, uh, I thought I would share a few images from an installation I had on, and I heard that you mentioned it. And so I, um, about a third of the way through as I was drafting this response. Um, I thought it would be interesting, since I was responding to this apology, maybe to hear from our community and to see also what others had to say uh, in response to that um, congressional document. So what we did was, this was at um, the Heritage Center uh, at Red Cloud Indian School on Pine Ridge. And we went and in the gallery we projected, you can see, well, on this wall, that wall, and that wall, on three different walls, we projected uh, three different sections from the uh, congressional apology. 
And then um, you can't see it, but it's below. But I um, got a cart full of um, all kinds of materials like um, markers, acrylic, graphite, pastel, anything we could get that people could make a mark with. And we invited them to come and interact with that text and write on the walls. Uh, so this was like the first day, and most of these people were um, students from the high school, from Red Cloud, to begin with. And we left it up for three months. And after three months, um, those walls were packed, just packed. There were people um, standing on ladders to write at the, real, at the very top. So um, it was really beyond any expectations that I had. But anyway, this is when things were still kind of blank. And you can see some students uh, coming, and these are some of their responses. What makes this an apology? Here's a student sort of highlighting or going over some of the language of that apology. There's a lot of why in there, um, takue in our language. Um, which is interesting. I that it actually somehow seems to be a thread through a lot of my collaborations. Why? Um, there's some more students. You see the walls are getting fuller. Oh, this is my um, sister, my cousin Arnie on the left, and then my grandma Shah, um, Mabel Long Soldier, and yeah. It's so funny, she brought, I don't even know if Grandma Shaw really knew what she was coming to, <laughs> but Arnie just brought her over one day. So um, in the far corner in the back is one of the best comments I read of the whole um, installation. These young uh, high school girls, if you can see, it says, if you're so sorry, give us back the Black Hills in yellow. <laughs> You're so smart. Good, yeah. <laughs> Very smart, of course, because that's treaty land. That is supposed to be, and that is our, also uh, a place of um, in our um, origin story. This is where we come from. So this is thousands and thousands of years. Sense of place. Oh, I'm sorry. Look at this. Uh, we even had uh, guests. Visitors who were uh, from were Palestinian, mm -hmm. and they contribute contributed to the installation. And this was also one of the most memorable comments that I had. Um, I remember um, someone wrote about their grandpa, and they shared this story, which basically is a memory that grandpa has. Um, the grandpa was, um, uh, or the mom was pregnant at Wounded Knee. So Wounded Knee happened in December, and grandpa was born in the spring. And so it's talking about um, what they were calling, um, shoot, what's the word for that? It's a kind of trauma, like from before birth. Um, but anyway... Uh, whenever, however you want to see that or take it in, 
it still really made a quite an impact on me. And I think also what was important to me about this was that these stories, these things are not that far away from us, to be quite honest. This is somebody's grandpa. And this is when Wounded Knee happened. This is like right here and now in our own families, our own generation, you know, um, that it, we still remember those things. So uh, I think really that was maybe what the point was. And even in the response that I drafted, uh, all of my pieces were drafted in the present. It was very important for me to write in the present um, only because I did not want history to be separated from who I am or who my daughter and my family are now because it is very much a part of us. Um, at the end, uh, these are two boys from Red Cloud. At the end, uh, we invited, you can see they're painting white blocks. We invited the community back at the closing of the show to paint the walls white. And that was kind of a gesture to reflect um, that the congressional apology ends with two disclaimers. So it's kind of like after they say all this stuff, it's kind of like, okay, we've said all this, but now we're not responsible. So in a way, we kind of um, mirrored that gesture and everyone came back and painted the walls back over again. There's some young girls. They were also painting, but as they were painting, uh, then the the projected text began to reveal itself again. Do you remember? You know, and so they were painting and then reading at the same time. So, and then this is like it's so funny because I feel like this may have been a little subversive, um, but this was uh, the last night of the show, and as I said, it was Red Cloud Indian School, which is a famous Catholic boarding school on the reservation and so anyway the last night and they were so supportive of this installation which I found really interesting the the fathers and the administration um, anyway we went outside and this outside wall is the wall to the convent the nunnery where the all of the sisters sleep and uh, we projected the section from the apology about boarding schools onto the outside of that wall. Mm. I know. I think maybe they didn't realize what we were doing. Look, that's me. It's the same hair. <laughs> I just get into a rut, you know, like. So I think that might be the last one from all of that. Yeah, there's an another um, installation. So I'm going to read a few pieces from that, from my response. Whereas, when offered an apology, I watch each movement, the shoulders high or folding, tilt of the head 
both eyes down or straight through me. I listen for cracks in knuckles or in the word choice. What is it that I want? To feel and mind you, I feel from the senses. I read each muscle. I ask the strength of the gesture to move like a poem. Expectations, a terse armfold, a failing noun thing. I, I scold myself in the mirror for holding. Because I learn from young poets, one sends me new work spotted with salt crystal, crystals. She metaphors as her tears. I feel her phrases. Quote, I say and understand me and I wonder. Pages are cavernous places, white at entrance, black in absorption. Echo. If I'm transformed by language, I am often crouched in footnote or blazing in title. Where in the body do I begin? This one is actually the very first piece I wrote in response to um, this apology. And I remember uh, sitting down how it felt when I got done. I felt this kind of relief. And then I realized one piece would not be enough. So, but this was the first one. <clears throat> Whereas, a friend senses what she calls cultural emptiness in a poet's work. And after a reading, she feels bad for feeling bad for the poet, she admits. I want to respond, the same could be said for me, some sticky current of Indian emptiness. I feel it not just in my poems, but when I'm on drives, in conversations, or as I lie down to sleep. But since this dialogue is about writing, I want to be correct with my languageness. In a note following the entry for Indian, an Oxford dictionary warns, do not use Indian or Red Indian to talk about American native peoples, as these terms are now outdated. Use American Indian instead. So that's, that's the first thing I did when I sat down to respond, is I looked up what they call us in the dictionary. I was curious what the current term was. So I explain, perhaps the same could be said 
for my work, some burden of American Indian emptiness in my poems, how American Indian emptiness surfaces not just on the page, but often on drives, in conversations, or when I lie down to sleep. But the term American Indian parts our conversation like a hollow bloated boat that is not ours, that neither my friend nor I want to board, knowing it will never take us anywhere but to rot. If the language of race is ever truly attached to emptiness, whatever it is I feel now has me in the hull, head, knees, feet curled, I dare say to fetal position, but better stated as the form I resort to inside the jaws of a reference. So that piece was um, referring to the term that uh, we're called by America in English. But there are words we all have for ourselves that are thousands of years old, of course. And so this is a piece that is um, sort of meditating on what we call ourselves. And of course, that always has a different feeling, you know, to say I'm Lakota uh, versus I'm uh, Indian or Native or what have you. You know, it's a very different feeling. <clears throat> Whereas I did not desire in childhood to be a part of this, but desired most of all to be a part, a piece combined with others to make up a whole, some but not all of something. In Lakota, it's hanke a piece or part of anything. Like the creek trickling behind my auntie's house, where uncle built her a bridge to cross from bank to bank, not far from a grassy clearing, with three teepees a place to gather. She holds three-day workshops on traditional arts, young people from Kyle and Potato Creek, <clears throat> arrive one by one, eager to participate. They have the option, my auntie says, to sleep at home and return in the morning, but by and large they'll stay and camp even during South Dakota winters, the comfort of being together. I think of plains, winds, snowdrifts, ice, and limbs, the exposure and when I slide my arms into a wool coat and put my hand to the doorknob, ready to brave the sub-zero dark, someone says, be careful out there. Always consider 
the snow your friend. Think badly of it, snow will burn you. I walk out remembering that for millennia we have called ourselves Lakota, meaning friend or ally. This relationship to the other, some but not all, still our peace to everything. put my grandma up. <laughs> I'm actually going to read this piece, which I consider the heart of the whole book. Uh, while I was um, working on this response, I, uh, um, I started researching many uh, other apologies, national apologies throughout the world. Uh, and in the U.S. Uh, and Canada, Canada had one to First Nations for the residential schools and so on. So um, this isn't the first national apology, certainly. Um, but I was interested in um, style. Uh, some were, um, you know, oral apologies, and they had a very, very oral quality to it. Um, I was also interested in effectiveness and so on. So as I was doing that, I meditated on um, just apology in general, maybe not at the national level. And this was a piece um, about probably the most effective apology I've ever received uh, from my dad. Whereas, I heard a noise I thought was a sneeze. At the breakfast table, pushing eggs around my plate, I wondered if he liked my cooking, thought about what to talk about. He pinched his fingers to the bridge of his nose, squeezed his eyes. He wiped. I often say he was a terrible drinker when I was a child. I'm not afraid to say it because he's different now. Sober, attentive, showered, eating. But in my childhood when things were different, I rolled onto my side, my hands together as if to pray, locked between my knees. When things were different, I lay there for long hours, my face to the wall, blank. My eyes left me, my soldiers, my two scouts to the unseen. And because language is the immaterial, I never could speak about the missing so perhaps I cried for the invisible, what I could not see doubly. 
What is it to wish for the absence of nothing? There at the breakfast table as an adult, wondering what to talk about, if he liked my cooking, pushing the invisible to the plate's edge, I looked up to see he hadn't sneezed. He was crying. I'd never heard him cry, didn't recognize the symptoms. I turned to him when I heard him say, I'm sorry I wasn't there, sorry for many things. Like that curative voicing an opened bundle or medicine or birthday wishing my hand to his shoulder it's okay I said it's over now I meant it because of our faces blankly because of a lifelong stare down because of centuries in sorry I'm going to close with a piece that I usually close with. Um, so I, I, this response is uh, structured in three sections. So the first, and I mirrored the uh, national apology. So the apology has 20 what they call whereas statements. You can read it online if you're ever um, curious. But anyway, so I wrote 20 of my own. And then the middle section has seven resolutions. So I wrote seven of my own resolutions. And then it ends with two disclaimers. So I also wrote two disclaimers. So I'm going to read uh, the second resolution. Um, and in this, uh, in all of the resolutions, I've taken the text directly from that document, the congressional document, and then I just reworked it uh, into my own piece. <clears throat> I commend this land and this land honor this land native this land peoples this land for this land, the, this land, thousands, this land, 
of this land years this land that this land they this land have this land stewarded this land and this land protected this land this land this land this land this land this land this this That's it. thank you That's a good question. Um, I actually wrote a piece in in uh, my response about that word uh, in the context of native languages, and in fact, um, in a lot of native languages, there, um, um, well, gosh, there's so many languages. So, but I know that in some uh, native languages, uh, there is no word for sorry or apologize. Um, and that's really beautiful to me because it doesn't mean that people didn't apologize or they didn't um, make amends for wrongdoing, but that it was uh, addressed in other ways besides just one word to blanket the entire <laughs> situation. So in other words, um, you know, oftentimes people would you know, sit down, and it wasn't, and it, a lot of times, um, things that happen um, did not always concern just two people. 
it would be a group setting, you know, and everyone has a conversation and everyone has a, a part in that conversation. And it comes, uh, a resolution comes together through uh, discussion, through group consensus. I feel like I'm right now going into dangerous territory. I don't want to start generalizing for all uh, tribes and so forth. But my point is, I hope I'm answering your question. That's kind of my, uh, something that I learned from and something I thought about myself is that uh, if you were to take even in that resolution, in the, um, the apology, the congressional apology, if you were to take that word apologize out, uh, I mean, it all hinges on that one word. Mm-hmm. And the gesture becomes kind of empty, to be quite honest. In fact, super empty. I mean, doubly empty because there was never really any action, any kind of action taken uh, to follow up after that um, document was signed. So, yeah, that, yeah. That answers it, but I, um, I guess, and maybe this is just like floating around and not can't be pinned on this language, but does the, is there implications about like, like culturally we have that word or use that word and it, Right. Well, well. here's the flip side of the coin. So uh, on the flip side, there's the piece that I read about my dad, for example, where I was literally, I was in this vegetarian stage, <laughs> although I love, love you vegetarian friends, but <laughs> when I was younger, I was in this stage. And I, I made breakfast for him, and I was, and I had made like a vegetarian um, sausage or something like that. So I was sitting there wondering what he thought about. I didn't, I can't remember if I told him not, but I was kind of waiting for his uh, approval or disapproval. And I looked up to see who was crying. You know, as we were eating, I had no idea. And he offered this apology, and he said, "I'm sorry." I said, I'm sorry I wasn't there, you know. I mean, it was completely unexpected. But in that moment, I was sitting with him, and I could feel it, and I could see it. It was real. And literally within seconds, a whole lifetime, a whole lifetime of hurt lifted because I knew he meant it, you know. And I don't know, that's all it took. It took that acknowledgement. And in that moment, the word sorry, I'm sorry, meant a lot. So I think also we might look beyond just the language, you know, especially as writers, we're, we get so hemmed in by the language, right? But it's, there's more, more in the package, in the deal, right? 
than just the language. There's also the presence, the human presence, the energy. You can feel it. You can feel sincerity and so on. So there, there's all that in the mix. Yeah. And those internet, Twitter apologies, forget it. Like, <laughs> oh, come on, man. That's not working. <laughs> I get asked about this a lot, and so I don't want to become like a Xerox copy of myself, so I'm going to try to think of a a new way to answer this. What I feel is, um, so you're talking about the form, the form and the shape on the page. And yeah, it's true, if you flip through, you'll see a, a little tasty array of all kinds of shapes and so on. Uh, I think that's a big part of um, um, how I think. I think that shape communicates. Uh, this, let me give this to you. This was the image I opened up with. And I'll try not to make this too long. I'll try to make it real quick here. But, um, okay, so this is... Um, a recent, this involves sh- literally shape, but very physical shape and text. So you can't see it so well in this, but um, there's one of the, the, the sections of the star, and then there's the stars put together. Um, but there's text laser cut in there, if you can see it. So I laser cut some poems and They look like this on the page. Can you see? It's a diamond. And you can read. You start at the top phrase, and you can read. And it's kind of fun. It's like some kind of children's, like, connect the thing. And you can create your own poem, depending on whichever direction you go in. Um, So I think that shape, uh, all of it, again, is kind of like the word sorry, right? It's, It's a whole package. It all goes together. You have to feel it. And I, I did this installation. Uh, this is another one up north with our community. You can see uh, I used a pattern for uh, star quilt. If you guys are familiar with star quilts, anyway, there are things in our community that we give each other on special occasions. And I wanted to create something that was appealing to our community that spoke, I, I didn't, if I were to sit and work hours and hours and hours on these little poems and then print them out on this kind of paper and put it on the gallery table, oopsie, um, nobody would read them, right? They would just go unnoticed. 
But I had to um, work in a way that was inviting. And so um, that, and, and what was really nice, the highest compliment is I had one of my friend's dad. He came to the opening, um, this older Lakota guy. And he came to the back room and found me. He came rushing in. And he was like really proud or really excited. And he said, did you know if you read from the top phrase and then you go down, you can make your own poem? And I said, yeah. Like, I was like, yeah, that's true. I'm glad you noticed that. And, but for me, it was the highest compliment that he had noticed that and he stood there for a long time I mean maybe 20-30 minutes you know doing his own poems um, and it made me feel good because that was a shape that was a recognizable shape to our people our community and it was inviting and they want and it was something they knew and they wanted to come closer right and so but even on the page in a book uh, that's part of the goal without becoming gimmicky so we don't want to become gimmicky and and I have to be careful of becoming corny if if you were if you left me to my own devices I would write a maybe a poem about a cloud in the shape of a cloud you know like so I have to be very careful not to get that go to those lengths but um that's a little bit of how I think about things, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think we had one right here. Um, so at the MFA is where I started the response to the National Apology, and it's there that I settled on that, um, the three sections, the whereas statements, the resolutions, and then the disclaimers. Um, so I, th I don't even remember what I wrote in my thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's basically the structure that I was referring to. I think cool. maybe yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything else? This one? Uh, yes, I'm. I'm sure you're probably aware that um, the United States is, definitely has a very bloody history. Like it was founded on the enslavement of African people. You know, being brought over from Africa. And like even today, like this genocide continues. Like there are black people who are being shot, who are being like beat up by police, uh, like race soldiers. And like um, they, in the problems is that the the United States really hasn't even like said anything. Does not necessarily take away from like your community, you know, struggles. But what do you feel about that? Do you feel like the Native American community to get involved in issues like that? Well, um, I see it two ways. Number one, um, so I'm always cautious about like 
speaking for all Native people. So it would be very hard for me to, I'm, I'm hesitant to make a statement like, oh yes, all Native people should get in, you know, um, involved or what have you. But I will say this, um, the first thing you made me think of is um, a book by Vine Deloria, uh, Custer Died for Your Sins, where he talks about the progress of the black community in the United States and the Native community being very connected. And as progress is made uh, through uh, some of the African-American um, the issues and their community, that in some ways we are coming up right behind them or right with them. And there is a relationship. Um, so that's a wonderful, um, if you're interested in reading Custer Died for Your Sins, that's a good one. Uh, the other thing is, on a personal level, I will say I feel personally invested um, in the things that happen. And I don't always, all I can say is um, I feel a great deal of empathy and sometimes anger and outrage at the injustice. And um, I feel connected. But um, I don't know. Is that answering your question at all? Yeah, but I do think it is important for everyone to get involved. Yes, I do. Um, I, I just, I still, I, I, maybe the point is I'm making that, um, I do think everyone should get involved, yes. But I'm hesitant to ever, like, make a declarative, declarative statement on behalf of, like, all Native people, which I just don't feel in the position to do. But yeah, yeah. So we do have apology, and I think I should be clear that it's just the word, but there are gestures to to make amends. So there are ways, and I think that we're, I'm, I think you're asking the same thing that I'm saying, but I just wanted to be clear that it's the actual word, sorry, that a lot of our languages do not have, a lot of native languages, but it's possible there are some, I don't know all. All native languages. But you know what? There's an interesting, you might watch it on YouTube. Um, there was, do you guys remember uh, when Standing Rock was happening? Um, right towards the end, a whole contingent of veterans came up to Standing Rock to help with the movement. And I feel like their presence kind of pushed everything to a kind of climax because uh, on the day that they were going to, I think, uh, um, join, officially join the, um, go to the front lines, I think Obama called, uh, um, 
declared uh, something. I can't remember the the legal term for it. I'm sorry, but he kind of stopped things. But they were supposed to uh, go to the front lines, and but between the time they arrived and the time when they were going to go forward, um, they came to the community there, the native community. And it is so beautiful. There's videos online on YouTube you can find now and so on where they actually got on, they kneeled and they apologized. And it was the most, I remember watching it the day that happened and I cried and cried. I had never seen anything like that in my life from, especially from veterans, American veterans. Uh, to do such an incredible gesture. It seemed very sincere, and there were also present a number of elders and speakers. For example, uh, Faith Spotted Eagle, who's a really beautiful um, speaker in the community up north, was there, and so on. And she talked about aspects of trauma that are shared between the veterans, veterans and Native people, the community, and so on. Um, so that would be like a really, to me, a beautiful example of that, that uh, way, that community way of, of sharing and speaking and coming forth, you know, and expressing a kind of sorrow or regret. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Can we get another round of applause? Oh, you're welcome. So, yeah, we'll just hang out and, and maybe um, support you, say hi, and then we can, we can go to dinner afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Thank you for coming. Yeah. <laughs> it's been uh,